Today, the 13th day of November 2018, lots of stuff going on in the world of baseball, sports, and unifying America. I don't know what kind of pad to sit bullshit power play you're trying to pull here, but Asia Jack is my territory. So whatever you're thinking, you better think again. Otherwise, I'm going to have to head down there, and I will rain down on a godly firestorm upon you. You're going to have to call the United Nations to get a binding resolution to keep me from destroying you. I am talking scorched earth, mother I will massacre you. I will you up just a reminder if you're interested and you want to be part of the show you could call in the number 732-364-3598 you could also comment on the facebook live or periscope feed so any way you want or interested in communicating with the show please do rookie of the year awards announced yesterday in major league baseball and i understand from a fan perspective there's a certain amount of biasness that exists, and I'm going to touch on this in a little bit. But there's a couple different things that I heard spoken yesterday and I've heard mentioned through Twitter that I just unfortunately don't see as very accurate. In other words, you look at a guy like Shohei Otani, wins the Rookie of the Year award, and automatically he's compared to the likes of Hideki Matsui and Ichiro. And then some of the other Japanese players who have won the Rookie of the Year awards in the past. You know, Kazuhiro Sasaki, Hideo Nomo. So I get it. You know, they all came from Japan. I understand it up to a certain point. But when you're trying to say Shohei Otani is just like those players, I don't think it's a fair enough comparison. And I also think that there's a lot of people that are leaving out the significance of what he was able to do this year. Not only was he able to go out there on the mound, and I know there's a little bit of a disappointment. He only made 10 starts. I get it. He's having Tommy John surgery. He's going to miss, you know, not being able to pitch in 2019. You're going to see if he's able to hold on and be a, a bat, a designated hitter over the course of the season. And I think, not to change the subject too much, but as it applies to Tommy John's surgery, um, we're really going to see a test of how the operation works and how somebody is going to be able to get back on the field if the intention is to play competitive games as quickly as possible and maybe quicker than anybody ever has in the history of the sport. So I think that's something that's going to be interesting to watch. Otani has the operation. He's looking to go out there and swing the bat and hit. Can he reasonably be expected to rejoin the Angels and be back in their lineup in April or May of next year? It's going to be interesting to see how that works out. But when it comes down to it, here's a guy to hit 20 home runs. If his arm had held up, certainly showed the stuff to be a dominant force and maybe an ace type of pitcher when it came to the entire American League. And we're obviously categorizing the American and National League because this is a league award. So it's separate. There's a, you know, obviously the National League Award and the American League Award for the Rookie of the Year started, I believe, in 1949 after Jackie Robinson was the first Rookie of the Year award that held out for both leagues. And then all of a sudden, you know, there's one award given out to each league. So Shohei Otani proves that he is the phenomenon of what we thought he could be. His talent seemed to exist more as a pitcher than as a hitter. 
So when it came into this season, was there one of two things that needed to be proven a little bit less? I certainly was. You know, he throws the ball 100 miles an hour. He's going to strike out major league hitters. There's no question about it that he could throw. The reason that he is in the major leagues, the reason that he's coming over from Japan and is sought after by major league baseball teams, and he is playing in the major leagues at age 23, is because of his ability to pitch, his ability to throw. So he's there. Proves that without a doubt. But I think the significant thing, the thing that makes it stand out, and I'll talk about some unfair comparisons in a second, is that he was he proved not only did he could pitch, but he could be a legitimate everyday major league hitter. Something that had not been seen in the sport really since the days of Babe Ruth. You could talk about some good hitting pitchers, and I've profiled a lot of them on this show. But even if you look at a guy like a Wes Farrell, who was a great hitter, you know, he seems to be average or slightly below average when it comes to that of a regular major league player. And that's something that you, you don't want to see if you're trying to put a lineup of one through nine in 2018 baseball when we're talking about everybody pushing towards having a designated hitter for each one of these teams. Not just in the American League, in all Major League Baseball, outlaw pitchers hitting. So if a pitcher is going to be able to make a case that they could go out there, throw whatever it is, their six or seven innings, and remain in the game and get their four plate appearances each game, they don't have to just prove themselves to be an average or slightly below average hitter. they got to prove that they can hang with anybody that's going out there and playing every day. And being almost up at a level where you could consider the player year in and year out to be an all-star as a hitter. That's something we haven't seen in a while. So a lot of people, especially in the New York area, are a little bit down on Otani winning a Rookie of the Year award. I think there's also a lot of people that unfortunately have not gotten a chance to appreciate what Otani was able to do. How many people, when it came to the offseason and the signing of Otani, and then obviously the fact that there was 20, 20 or so teams that were interested in wanting to sign Otani, he goes down to the last seven or so, wants to go on the West Coast or at least in the central part of the United States of America before he signs. How many people were doubting his ability to be a consistent hitter? How many people likened his ability to hit to that of, let's say, a Madison Bumgarner? or a Mike Hampton, or a Carlos Zambrano, which are all very fair comparisons and aren't necessarily insults. And it's also not an insult to each one of those players as a major league hitter. But what all three of those other pitchers who were good hitters had in common is they could not sustain themselves if they were playing every day in the major leagues. If they weren't able to pitch, they wouldn't be able to maintain themselves in a regular major league lineup. And I'll make the example last year as it applies to Madison Bumgarner. Madison Bumgarner gets involved in that quad accident. And obviously, this is not the time to talk about that. But the fact that he wasn't able to pitch and he was out for a series of months with the New York, I'm sorry, with the San Francisco Giants. Because of that, the Giants didn't have his services for a series, a series of months. It wasn't like he could go out there and swing. And you know what? The fact that it wasn't even brought up about the possibility of Madison Bumgarner joining the Giants to even be a pinch hitter off the bench shows the value of even your elite hitting National League pitchers. So your best hitting National League pitchers are not warranted 
even or thought about to be pinch hitters very often, let alone everyday major league players. What Shohei Otani was able to prove was that his his bat was that valuable that it needed to be in the lineup every day or every day possible when he wasn't pitching. And here's the other side of it. And unfortunately, we find this in sports all over. Not just as it applies to baseball, but as it applies to football and basketball and hockey. There are good sports fans everywhere. There are. And they come from all different regions. They root for all different teams. But unfortunately, one of the things that exists with being a good sports fan, and a lot of good sports fans have this problem, is an extreme biasness as it applies to their own team that they root for. And it's almost like a fan. And it obviously doesn't apply to all fans. I think there are a lot of fans that are very objective out there, but a lot of other fans seem to have blinders, seem to only want to read news as it applies to their own teams. And you think about the average filter that's set up, set up there on any site that you want to go to. It asks you, what's your favorite sports team? So you're filtering the information that you're getting there as it applies to just your favorite sports team or just your favorite sports teams. And I think with that, there is an extension that goes beyond the rooting of an individual team or a favorite team that almost makes you ignorant to what goes on in the rest of the sport. And when this applies to the rest of the sport, other things are happening. A guy like Shohei Otani is on the other coast of the country having a great rookie season and doing things that have never been done before. But you may be watching Miguel Andujar every day and realize that the Yankees are where they are as they're on their way to winning 100 games, getting into the playoffs, thinking about before the season ends how their postseason is going to go. They got a chance to beat the Red Sox. They're right up there with any team in the entire American League and all Major League Baseball. And you're only looking at it from the Yankees' perspective. And I would expect a Yankees fan to know more about every Yankee player than a, a person and a fan that happens to not be a Yankees fan. But unfortunately, we're looking at Yankees fans that are bitching and complaining right now because Shohei Otani got the Rookie of the Year award in the American League and I'm going to plead with you and say that there is ignorance. And the reason that you feel that strong about it is just you don't understand enough about what Shohei Otani did this season. Now, there's a little bit of a disappointment that he didn't pitch the full season. You know, his UCL went, he's going to have the Tommy John surgery. It hindered his season. But the fact that he was able to prove that not only can he throw the ball 100 miles an hour and if he's healthy, potentially be an ace in Major League Baseball. But he proved that his bat was warranted to be in a lineup every day in the American League. Something that Madison Bumgarner could not do. Something that Mike Hampton could not do. Something that Carlos Sambrano, as good of a hitting pitcher in the National League that he was, he could not warrant that ability to play every day. And here's where I'm going to get into the next part of my show. And this applies, like I said, to all sports fans. But I'm using Yankee fans in this instance to get my point across. Sometimes we live in a little bit of a globe. Sometimes we live in a little bit of a, a wooden house that we don't ever want to get ourselves mentally out of. And it applies a lot to sports. And I'm all about 
filtering all your sites that you go to to get your information and center them around your favorite teams. But it also creates a certain mindset. It also creates a certain illusion that the sport goes through your favorite team. And in the digital age that we live in now, the fact that there's so much information out there, the fact that you have the chance to see so many different things and things that you probably didn't have the opportunity to see 10, 20, 30 years ago, you're really selling yourself short if you're keeping your knowledge involved with the entertainment of sports as they apply to your favorite sports teams. Every sport has a major network where you can watch football all the time, baseball all the time, basketball, hockey all the time, whatever your favorite sports are, you could watch a network that's dedicated to following that sport all the time. Now, regional sports fans are fans that happen to just love their team, maybe love their team more than a sport that they're rooting for. I'm telling you, you're selling yourself short. And these are the same people that are screaming bloody murder when Miguel Andujar doesn't win the Rookie of the Year in the American League. And the only thing that I could say to that person is, you know, with all due respect, claiming that, you know, and I'm saying to you, hey, you have knowledge, you know what you're talking about. You may be able to come up with some valid points. But do you understand the significance of what Shohei Otani did this year? And you may be screaming, oh, the writers are just against the Yankees, which isn't isn't fair to say at all. Miguel Andujar had a season that was good enough to win Rookie of the Year. And in other years, depending on who he was competing against, he, he could be Rookie of the Year. But we can't compare Otani to your average Japanese player coming over to play in the United States. Because he didn't play six, seven years like Ichiro did, like Hideki Matsui did, like Kazahiro Sasaki Hideo Nomo, all guys that prospered in their home country for a series of years and ended up waiting to get posted. Didn't come to the United States. You know, Masahiro Tanaka comes to mind. Guys who made it through the amount of times where they could be posted by their team and become a free agent, come over to the United States and get the big deal that they could get. Shohei Otani, you know, came over earlier than that. He bypassed that opportunity. He's in the major leagues on a minimum contract. So you can't say he is that traditional Japanese player. Because I can understand the argument when you want to knock, let's say, a Nomo or an Ichiro, you know, guys who are essentially veteran players playing in a country of Japan, coming over to the United States, playing for the first time. We could talk about whether that player qualifies as a rookie or not. It was held against Hideki Matsui. Other players got the Rookie of the Year award in spite of that. And I understand it. I see where fans are coming from with that, but you can't use that argument with Otani. Otani bypassed millions and millions of dollars by coming to the United States at the age that he did. He's a, as much of a rookie as Miguel Andujar, as much of a rookie as Clyber Torres or Ronald Acuna or Juan Soto or Walker Bueller or anybody else in 2018. So that Japanese player who has the bunch of experience playing in Japan may not necessarily qualify as a rookie, may just be in, uh, you know, in different, uh, you know, just an understanding or a misunderstanding 
I, I can't have that argument. But also fans, I think, especially in a medium that we live in right now, with all the technology thrown in our face, with the opportunity to see things right before our eyes, all the information is at your fingertips. Why are you not taking advantage of the chance to be able to see other games, to be able to see other players, to be able to make a legitimate enough assessment over whether the player that you're rooting for because you happen to wear that jersey you know, inside and outside, you're a diehard fan of that particular team, you have a chance to know more about the sport than you ever did before. So why don't you take advantage of it? This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know of no brand produced by any other brewer that costs so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beachwood Aging produces a taste, a smoothness, and drinkability you'll find and no beer at any cost. Uh, NFL news, and it may not be really that much news. It was probably something that could have been expected, especially if you watched the Jets-Bills game this past Sunday. Nathan Peterman was released by the Buffalo Bills, and it turned out to be a numbers game as the Bills all of a sudden were bringing in quarterbacks, and of course that was started by the injury to Josh Allen, who is expected, of course, to be the Buffalo Bills quarterback in the future. Nathan Peterman got a chance to start in week one, was ineffective. Josh Allen came in, remained the starter until his own injury. Now, the Bills were carrying two quarterbacks, needed to bring in another quarterback anyway if Allen was not able to play. First brought in Derek Anderson and then brought in Mac Barkley. Now, Anderson, the four interceptions, the zero touchdowns, Played, I don't know, average and ordinary. Uh, I don't think he was dominant in his performance by any stretch of the imagination. But proved himself to be, I don't know, suitable to maybe hold a clipboard. Matt Barkley led the team to a very nice win against the New York Jets. You know, certainly isn't going to be able to take the job away from Josh Allen, but proved that he could remain on the roster as well. So the Buffalo Bills are going forward. Josh Allen, if he's healthy enough to be the quarterback of the team next week, then the Bills have a choice of three other quarterbacks and could probably hold on to two of them. Now, Nathan Peterman's performance at the end of last year and in his opportunity to play a couple times this year have not been very good. And it was, you know, a couple weeks ago we were talking about how E.J. Manuel and other quarterbacks in the NFL that don't have jobs at this very moment were wondering how this guy is continuing to get as much of a chance as he did. There's the other side of it, the Rudy story, the part of it where you think and you're like, man, I just hope that this guy could go out there and just dominate and he could kind of have that underdog story to him, that the story of the person that nobody thought had any talent. And just went out there all of a sudden, was clicking on all cylinders. You want to root for somebody like that. But Nathan Peterman being released made me want to think of some of the worst quarterbacks that we've seen in NFL history. And Nathan Peterman, the error, E-R-R-O-R, which we would call coming to an end in Buffalo. And, you know, listen, I, I hope that he gets an opportunity to play in the National Football League again. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I'm sure next year he'll at least go into camp with somebody, maybe compete for a second or third string quarterback job because we know when it comes to NFL quarterbacks, 
there are some very good ones, but the list just drops. When you get out of the top eight to 10, the 12, depending on how many quarterbacks you want to give credit for and categorize when you're doing this analysis, all of a sudden there's a huge drop off. And you got quarterbacks starting for teams in the NFL that you know within a couple years are not going to be in a league anymore. They're certainly not going to be starting for their individual teams. And you could be a fan of one of those teams that has an average and ordinary quarterback. And you know that that position is going to be very interchangeable. So a guy like Nathan Peterman, a guy like EJ Manuel, you could talk about a bunch of quarterbacks that don't have a job right now. And I've said all along, like Colin Kaepernick or hate Colin Kaepernick, he, he probably has the tools to help a team out if you take out the what you would call the distraction and the stuff that any team that signs him would have to deal with. That's their choice. A team may not think that's that, that's big of a deal, would want to judge him based off of what he could do on a field. And if that's the case, Colin Kaepernick probably deserves a job with some team at this point in the National Football League. But back to Peterman, because it made me think, who were the worst quarterbacks to appear, not just make an appearance, but to make, I don't know, three, four starts over a couple of years. And Peterman's numbers obviously stand out. One in three record as a starter. But in those four starts, he threw one touchdown and 10 interceptions. In the eight games that he appeared in over the last two seasons, the team was one in seven. He threw three touchdowns and 12 interceptions. And as I was putting this together, I wanted to come up with a top 10 list of the worst quarterbacks to have extended appearances in National Football League games over the course of their career. And unfortunately, that's going to leave out a series of quarterbacks that we could all talk about and bring up. We could talk about the biggest busts in National Football League history. We could talk about quarterbacks that were given very high respect, were taken up towards the top of a draft, and ended up not performing. You could talk about guys like Jack Thompson, David Klingler, Achilles Smith, Todd Marinovich, Jamarcus Russell, Jamarcus Russell, Tim Couch, Joey Harrington, Dan Pastorini, Rick Meyer, David Carr. These were all guys that were saddled being a top five or a top ten pick, expecting to be the savior for a particular franchise, and they didn't get the job done. You could talk about guys like Mark Wilson and Richard Todd, if you're old enough to remember them playing in the National Football League. There were guys that held jobs for a while, but just they were average. They were ordinary. They just weren't very good. So the players that I'm talking about right now were the absolute worst at their position. They gave their team very little chance to win a particular game. And names that I'm going to leave off of this because they didn't qualify as my top 10, I'll throw these names out there. Kay McCown, McNown, Joe Pisarczyk, John Reeves, Zeke Bratkowski, Bobby Douglas. And like I said, you know, if you're an NFL fan for a long time, some of these names will ring a little bit of a bell to you. But the first one I talk, I wanted to talk about was Heath Schuler. And he played a series of four years from 94 to 97 with the Washington Redskins and the New Orleans Saints. Had 15 touchdowns and 33 interceptions. The next guy... Ryan Leaf, and I left Ryan Leaf's name out of the bust list 
conveniently, because not only was Ryan Leaf a bust, but he really was one of the worst quarterbacks to ever play in the NFL over any extended period of time. Not only was he not as good as the hype, and I still can't believe people are like, hey, who's going to be better, Peyton Manning or Ryan Leaf? And I know part of what Ryan Leaf did, he kind of did to himself. And he deserves some of the negative accolades that are attributed to his name. There's things that he did that didn't help himself. But he also was a terrible quarterback. And I understand the San Diego Chargers needed somebody. may not have necessarily surrounded him with some good players. But in, over the course of three seasons, which the last part of, this, of the third season was played in Dallas because they got rid of him so quickly. He had 14 touchdowns and 36 interceptions. And that just wasn't average and ordinary. That just wasn't less than superstar caliber. That was that was awful. Go yourself, San Diego. So when I'm going at number eight, there's a quarterback by the name of Kent Nix. Played for the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Chicago Bears from 67 to 1972. Over six seasons, he had 23 touchdowns and 49 interceptions. So I moved to number seven, which was a Chicago Bear. And in fact, the quarterback that was on that team for a decade before the Chicago Bears had that great season in 1985 when they won the Super Bowl. And his name was Bob Avellini. Now, Avellini played from 75 to 84 with the Chicago Bears, nine seasons, 33 touchdowns, 69 interceptions. So it's going to get worse. I go to number six, a quarterback by the name of Jeff Kumlo. Played for Detroit in 1979 to 1982 and Tampa Bay in 1973. Four seasons, 12 touchdowns, 28 interceptions. Number five, Kelly Stelfer. And here's a name that rings a bell to me because this was around the time that I started following the National Football League. 1988 to 1992, he was a backup quarterback for the Seattle Seahawks. Four seasons, seven touchdowns, 19 interceptions. But, but, but wait, it gets worse. Number four. I have to put Nathan Peterman in there as the number four worst quarterback in National Football League history. Three touchdowns, 12 interceptions. I understand you're only giving them eight games, but that ratio is four to one. And there's only three quarterbacks that I found when I'm going through the research that I did. And remember, I'm not Elias Sports Bureau. So if there's ever a corrective stat that somebody could throw my way and maybe find something that I was unable to find on my own, Please let me know. So if I put Peterman at four, the three worst quarterbacks to Nathan Peterman in NFL history are Gary Huff, who played for the years in 1973 to 1978 with the Chicago Bears and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, is known, by the way, as the quarterback that led the Buccaneers to the first game that they ever won in the history of their franchise. But over the course of six seasons, 16 touchdowns, 50 interceptions. Number two is a quarterback by the name of Rick Horton, 
not to be confused with the former major league pitcher who pitched for the Cardinals in the late 80s and the, you know early part of the 90s. But Rick Horton played for the Miami Dolphins and the Green Bay Packers from 1966 to 1970. Five seasons, through seven touchdowns and 30 interceptions. Over a 4-1 to one interception to touchdown ratio. So there's a quarterback that I'm going to say is even worse than that. And it's unfortunate because this quarterback only played three years in the NFL. Now you could say Nathan Peterman, if you want to rank him as the fourth worst quarterback in the history of the National Football League, it may not be fair because he only played two seasons or the equivalent of a handful of games over the course of two seasons. But here's the worst. Andrew Walter played from 2006 to 2008 with the Oakland Raiders. Played three seasons, threw three touchdowns, and had 16 interceptions. That's over a 5-1 to one interception to touchdown ratio. I'm going to put this list up on my website, johnpiele.com, as we start to uh, you know, move some other stuff out of there. I just want to throw some interesting things that we try to talk about on the show, but also leave the discussion going. So let's say you view it, you look at it, you say, hey, what about this player? What about that player? I really want to continue the discussion. But is it reasonable to say that Nathan Peterman, and as unfair as it may be to him, that he may very well be the worst or the fourth worst quarterback to ever play a series of games in National Football League history. Just a reminder that Castrol provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. So, of course, a national story comes out there anytime there is really a legend in any sort of profession and they pass away. It becomes a story. And you think of the life of the legendary Stan Lee. Stan Lee, of course, from Marvel Marvel Comics. Everything involved with all the different characters that we know today, and obviously a lot of those comic books were made into cartoons and were made into different types of movies that we're seeing. And obviously, in all those different entities, it raised a considerable amount of money. And Stan Lee... Obviously, from his artistic talents, brought a ton to the table. I will say this, and it may not be fair. You know, there may be people that are Marvel Comics and Stan Lee fans that are going to be pissed off at me for saying it. I'm not a huge comic fan. I'm not a huge fan when it comes to movies of stuff that were made in the comics. In fact, overall, outside of comedy, I'm not a big fan of fiction whatsoever. But I sure as hell can appreciate talent when I see it. And for a man who obviously is known for pretty much the folk following that he had over a series of years, the people that have followed his comics, that have followed the animated series as they've come into movies and books, I, I get the appreciation for the man's life. Because you think about it, for a person that was able to live 95 years, to accomplish so much... And have your own section of people that are just in Marvel, and obviously, no pun intended there, over what he was able to do. And the stories that are involved with the characters that he created. It's something to be proud of. Now, I try to relate everything that happens to sports. 
And I think of a similar type of hobby that people had when I was growing up. May not be so prolific now, but was much more prolific in a time before I grew up. And I was collecting baseball cards. There were people that did two different things when I grew up. They collected baseball cards and they collected comic books. And there was a guy by the name of Cy Berger who passed away about four years ago. Was one of the originators of top baseball cards. Started the set in 1952 and did a lot of work when it came to getting the pictures to be associated with the baseball cards. But the bottom line is baseball cards were just as much collectibles as comic books were in the 1950s, the 1960s, and the 1970s. And of course, as things went on to the 80s and the 90s around the time that I grew up, it was just as impactful on my life and many other people's. So I made the decision. I decided that I was interested or more interested in collecting baseball cards than comic books. And I look up to a guy like Cy Berger in the same way that many people that are huge comic book fans and comics and no movies and the stuff that's associated with those written comics are an impact on the people's lives that followed it. And that's why those people look up to a Stan Lee in the same way that I look up to a Cy Berger. It's a quick recap of the show today. We spoke about the Rookie of the Year, Shohei Otani, who I believe for many reasons deserves to be in a Rookie of the Year. As the cuckoo clock, you hear it. It's the concluding point of the past ball show today. Just a reminder, it's brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. So many reasons stand out to me why Otani deserves to be the Rookie of the Year. The fact that he proved that there's no doubt that he could be the two-way player. Not just the two-way player of a guy that's a pitcher that can hit pretty good. And like I said, throwing the names out there, the Bumgarners, the Bob Gibsons, the Wes Ferrells, the Carlos Zambranos, the Mike Hamptons, the pitchers that we know throughout baseball history that were very good hitters, still did not hit above replacement level. And that's something that needs to be mentioned because those players, no matter how good of hitters they were, their bet was never justified to be in the lineup every day. Shohei Otani proved that. And as good as Miguel Andujar was, as good as Gleyber Torres was this year, their accomplishments were not on the same level of what Otani did. Now, I talked about the itis that exists when it comes to fan bases that exist throughout the country. There's a certain biasness that you say, hey, everything has to go through the team that I root for. I saw a little bit of this. I got to be honest, when it came to Yankee fans' takes on the voting, when it came to the Cy Young, it was almost like you were wearing your Yankee blinders and were just ignorant through anything else that could possibly happen in Major League Baseball. And it was all about the Yankees. So you might as well have not known who Shohei Otani was because you were so biased towards the own players that you root for. And I just think in the day and age that we live in, with all the technology at our forefront, the ability to know more about the sport than you ever could before. The fact that you could follow a sport that you enjoy, even though you may have a favorite team that exists out there, but know more about other teams. Know more about your favorite team's opponents. Know more about the best players in baseball and say, hey, I know enough about Mike Trout to know that it didn't matter what team I was a fan of, I'd want that player on my team. 
This isn't the 1980s or 1970s. We're going back before that, when you wouldn't know who a player was that played in an opposing league. Because there was no chance that there would be, you'd see him play your favorite team. So I just think there is an itis that exists out there when it comes to sports fans. But we should be able to, in the time that we live in right now, move away from that and move ourselves towards an understanding of the entire sport. Because the information is there. Nathan Peterman, released by the Buffalo Bills. I did a top 10 of the worst quarterbacks in National Football League history. And if you check out JohnPielli.com, you'll know exactly where Peterman ranked. And they, they give you the tools to be your own boss. Finally, rest in peace, Stan Lee. Very good comparison to the likes of Cy Berger. And obviously, comic book fans are not going to like me saying that. But this is coming from a person that's not a fan of comic books at all. Is not a fan of comic book characters. Is not a fan of fiction unless it applies to comedic movies. So I compare when people collected comic books when I was younger. I was collecting baseball cards. And I look at a guy like Cy Berger and the impact that he had on Tops. Kind of in a similar way. Maybe an interesting take. But like I said, rest in peace, Stan Lee. We'll be back with you tomorrow. This is the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.